Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. In this episode, we're going to learn about the spiritual blessings that were promised to the Arab people. These are the descendants of Ishmael. And we're going to also see how these promises are part of God's plan to restore His kingdom and the nation of Israel. So let's go back to the beginning. You probably know the story of Abraham and Hagar. Hagar was Sarah's Egyptian maidservant, and she became Abraham's second wife and bore his first son named Ishmael. Conflict and jealousy came up in the family and eventually led to Ishmael's banishment from Abraham's household, but also his father's inheritance. But the Lord blessed Ishmael. He said in Genesis chapter 17, he said, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful. I will multiply him exceedingly, and he shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. So here we see Ishmael receiving a blessing in Abraham. And it also was to include a portion of the land that God promised as an eternal inheritance to the descendants of Abraham. And so this is the reason that Ishmael was circumcised with Abraham on the same day, because if he didn't carry the sign of the covenant, he would have been cut off from his father's promised blessings. Now, God did not choose Ishmael's prodigy to be the recipient of the promises. In other words, Ishmael's descendants were not going to receive the covenants and the future Messiah. That would come through the natural lineage of Isaac and then Jacob. Now, like Isaac, Jacob, who was later named Israel, he also had an older brother named Esau. And these two families would later intermarry through Mahalath, who was the daughter of Ishmael. So it says here in Genesis chapter 28, So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebojoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. So now the blessing of Abraham would also come to the family of Esau, and they would also receive a portion of the land promised to Abraham. And so we read in Deuteronomy chapter 2, it says to the children of Israel, Do not meddle with them, the descendants of Esau, for I, ha- I will not give you any of their land, no, not as much as one footstep, because I've given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. Mount Seir is situated in modern-day Jordan. It's about an hour drive south of Petra. And these are beautiful rugged mountains that flank the eastern side of the Jordan Valley. In fact, our family just returned from there last year, and there was an incredible sense of peace over the land. And I believe that the blessing of Abraham is still lingering there to this day. Now, there's another blessing in Scripture promised to the Jewish and the Arab people. I call it the blessing of Shem. Shem was one of the three sons of Noah. And it says in Genesis chapter 9, May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem. So here the Lord promised to enlarge the kingdoms of Japheth, who are commonly believed to be those who populated Asia and Europe. Now, the Aramaic root of the name Japheth means to extend, and the Hebrew root means beauty. It's interesting for me to see how the Asian and European countries, and not exclusively, 
But they've expanded over the centuries and they've constructed beautiful cities with just incredible architecture. But the greater blessing to the Arab people is that the kingdoms of Japheth would ultimately come to dwell in the tents of Shem. And so here we see that the blessing of Japheth would now be extended to both Jacob and Ishmael. In Isaiah chapter 60, we can read, Therefore your gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. Now, given the limited historical narrative in Scripture and the fact that most of the Arab tribes living throughout the Middle East have produced no written account of their genealogy, it's almost impossible to know exactly where the descendants of Ishmael and Esau live today. But it's commonly accepted that the Arab people, about 420 million worldwide, are the direct descendants of Abraham. And because many Arab families were nomadic and followed ancient trade routes, we also see Arab populations in North Africa, Asia, and Antolia, which is Asia Minor. So that leaves the largest single concentration of Arabs living in what is traditionally called the Middle East. Now, most Muslims in the world are not Arabs, and only about 18% of the Muslims actually live in the Middle East itself. The Middle East stretches from the Mediterranean Ocean all the way eastward to the Iranian border. The region is at the intersection of three major continents, Europe, Asia, and Africa. And it incorporates the modern-day nations of Lebanon and Syria in the north, Jordan and Iraq in the central areas, and then the, the rest of the countries, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Oman, and Yemen, they're in the southern region. Now, included in this dispersed Arab population are those who identify as Palestinian. Most of those are living in modern-day Lebanon, Jordan, and then cities around Judea and Samaria, including well-known cities like Jericho, Nazareth, Bethlehem, Nablus, Ramallah, and of course, East Jerusalem. Now, while Ishmael and Esau were blessed in Abraham, they were actually also cursed. And about Ishmael, the Lord said this in Genesis 16. He said, He shall be a wild man, and his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And about Esau, the Lord said in Malachi chapter 1, He said, But Esau I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. And we, we know that the reason that God hated Esau was because he sought to kill his brother Jacob. Now, unfortunately and sadly, we also see much of that violence still today, as warring Arab factions fight and kill each other over religious and tribal differences. And also Israel, the Jewish people, continue to suffer at the hands of those who seek to destroy her. And sadly, this also is a family rift that goes back to Sarah and Hagar. At the core of the conflict is a deep animosity that I believe is seeking and striving to establish a fatherly identity. And, and I really feel that it comes from an orphan spirit. So attached to fatherly identity is inheritance and attached to inheritance is land. And in truth, all humanity suffers from the same identity issue. We all have an, uh, a fatherly father identity issue and are seeking a fatherly identity. And most wars fought throughout history have been about the conquest of land and the subjugate populations. 
But here's the good news. In Christ, we know every curse will one day be broken. And so whether we acknowledge it or not, all people question who we are and what is our purpose for existing because we're sentient beings, meaning we're self-aware. And humanity was created in the image of God and we were created to be sentient. Now, going back to Ishmael and his fatherly identity, he actually suffered a double fate. He'd already lost his heavenly identity from mankind's original sin, our fall, but now he had lost his earthly identity as well. And yet, Abraham was promised to become the father of many nations, ultimately to restore what was lost to humanity. This is God's love and grace demonstrated to his creation. Ishmael's loss of his father's identity and the land attached to his father's inheritance continues to drive the Arab people to fight and restore the land they gave up when Israel became a nation in 1948. And to further complicate things under Islamic law, a Muslim state is responsible for overseeing land that they believe belongs to God. So if the land belonged to Allah, then it can never revert to any other God, including the God of Israel. Now, a little bit of history. Uh, Israel and much of the Middle East were under the control of the Ottoman Turkish Empire, which was a caliphate up until 1922. The Ottoman Turks entered World War I in 1914. They sided with Germany, Austria, and Hungary, but they were defeated in 1918. And under a war treaty agreement, the Ottoman Empire gave up most of its territories to Britain, France, Greece, and Russia. Britain retained control of the region surrounding modern-day Israel, which they named Palestine in 1870 when the first post office was established in the region. And Arabs from Palestine refer to themselves as Palestinians. And since Islam as a religion doesn't make distinctions between ethnicities, the title of Palestinian primarily has geographic association to this land that was previously owned by Muslims who lived under the caliphate of the Ottoman Empire. Now, Muslims generally will have their first allegiance to Allah and his geopolitical kingdom, irregardless of their ethnicity, and second, if any allegiance at all, to any national boundaries established under Western rule, which they view as Judeo-Christian. Now, going back to maps of early Christianity, we see how the Messianic faith spread from Jerusalem northward and westward through Syria and Turkey into Asia Minor and then into Europe. It also spread southward into Egypt and across North Africa along the Mediterranean, and it moved eastward into small parts of modern-day Jordan and Iraq. And these areas also held sizable Jewish populations as well. Christianity as a religion peaked in the Middle East around 630 AD, shortly after Islam began to spread. And so because of this, much of the Middle East has never come under Christian influence, especially the central and southern parts of Arabia. So most of the Arab people have yet to encounter the gospel and the revelation of Christ. Now scholars will date the creation of Islam to around the 7th century, starting in Mecca, Saudi Arabia, with a man and a prophet named Muhammad. He was a Kiriyash from the clan of Hashim, and at about the age of 40, while he was alone in a cave on Mount Hira, he encountered an angelic being that spoke to him. And these conversations went on for 23 years, and later they would be written down in chapters of the Quran, which are called surahs. 
It's interesting that the Quran references narratives in the Old Testament, stories about Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses. And it also includes, interestingly enough, narratives from the New Testament about Zechariah, Mary, and Jesus. And these stories are told not because they communicate a message to any chosen people group, but because they present the eternal moral choices faced by all humanity. Now, Muhammad began to build a movement of devout spiritualists from different religious backgrounds. Some of them were Jews, some were Christians. Most were probably from the pagan tribes from around war-torn Arabia. And Muhammad said he never intended to create a new religion, but ironically, today, Islam is the second largest population group in the world, right behind Christianity, and they comprise one-fourth of the world's population. As of 2017, Islam had become the fastest-growing religion in the world, mostly due to birth rates. About a century after the death of Muhammad, his community of believers launched the Great Islamic Conquest. They defined their beliefs as part of a distinct religious group called Islam, and a series of leaders rose up called caliphs that became the successors to Muhammad, and the system of leadership was called a caliphate and eventually led to the formation of the Ottoman Turkish Empire that was the last and greatest Islamic caliphates. So now we've come full circle on the history, and we understand God's plans to expand the gospel to the sons of Ishmael throughout the Middle East, but the enemy's plans to squelch it. Now, God established the nation of Israel and his governing and spiritual authority in Jerusalem. And this for the purpose that Yeshua the Messiah, the rightful king of Israel, would command his disciples to go forth from Jerusalem and share the good news of the kingdom and make disciples all nations, including the sons of Ishmael. Now, when the Lord commissioned Paul and Barnabas to the Gentiles, Christianity spread from Jerusalem into Asia Minor and partly into Arabia, but it never fully enveloped the Middle East. And 600 years after Paul, Islam would evolve as a new religion in Saudi Arabia and captivate the Arab people. So again, today, the majority follow Islam and not Christianity. Conflicts arose between the Muslim and Christian worlds, and eventually this led to the division of the Middle East between France and England. This division included the reservation and formation of the future nation of Israel. So today the battle over the inheritance of the land promised to the descendants of Abraham surrounds primarily one city, Jerusalem. And within Jerusalem, one rectangular plot of land at its center called the Temple Mount. So let's not be confused over the politics in the Middle East. This conflict between the Jews and Palestinians started at the time of Abraham, when Ishmael lost his fatherly identity and his father's inheritance. And this inheritance included the land of Israel, the land of Canaan that was promised to the descendants of Abraham. And this conflict will not likely end until the enmity between the descendants of Jacob and Ishmael is removed. Now, we know that that will only be removed in Christ. So Paul said that the enmity would be removed when the Jews and Gentiles become one people of God in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, and I'll read them for you here because they're powerful. Paul says, Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel 
and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he, Christ, might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Now, the enmity was provoked by Israel's promise to receive an inheritance from the Lord. And the rest of the nations were essentially, including the sons of Ishmael, were excluded from this inheritance because they were not part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 17, we see this where the Lord says, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Now, many see Paul's writings in Ephesians as a reference to the Mosaic law and how the law set Israel apart from her surrounding nations. And that is absolutely true. God actually did forbid the the Jewish people from intermarrying with their surrounding Gentile nations. And so there were edicts or laws established for, for purity from the Gentile nations. However, we have to look at the entire context of the paragraph where it says that the Gentiles were effectively cut off from the commonwealth of Israel. And because they were cut off from Israel's identity and promised to become children of God and inheritors of the kingdom, they were essentially cut off from Israel's inheritance and promises. In other words, they were without any hope of becoming part of the covenant promises. And that's what Paul tells us. But then he goes on to say, now the fulfillment of Israel's promises and their inheritance would ultimately be found in Christ. So the new covenant is more than just a better promise. It's actually the only promise which we can receive eternal salvation in Christ, through which we now receive the Father's indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and we will receive one day the earth, all of God's land, as an eternal inheritance. So Paul uses this analogy to compare the bondage which comes from trying to earn our salvation through the works of the law and the freedom we now have in Christ. In Galatians chapter 4, he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise, for these are the two covenants. The one comes from Mount Sinai, which corresponds to the present-day Jerusalem, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. And so Paul is talking about the new Jerusalem that will come down from heaven. So Islam, similar to Judaism and Catholicism to an extent, reflects many of these same principles, including the belief that eternal salvation is predicated on faith in God and good works. So there implies then this obligation to labor and earn our salvation, which can become an endless pursuit of unattainable perfection. And this is what continues to enslave the Arab and the Jewish people to this very day. Paul says in Romans 10, he says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Once the natural sons of Abraham 
all of the sons, the sons of Jacob, sons of Ishmael and Esau, once they are freed from this humanistic approach by coming to true faith in Christ, once they try to stop earning their salvation under the law, these two families will come together as one in Christ, and they then will equally receive the identity as God's children and descendants of Abraham's covenant promises, including the land of Canaan, Canaan. Now, I believe that the sons of Ishmael will, will come to the knowledge of Christ before the Jewish people. And, and I've heard that many are already receiving dreams and visions of Yeshua. And so here's a question. Do you think, is it possible that they would be the ones to provoke Israel to jealousy? Well, let's think about this for a moment. Now, Moses warned Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 32. He says, I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation and move them to anger by a foolish nation. And could this foolish nation be the same one the Lord promised to Ishmael when he said in Genesis chapter 17, behold, I have blessed him, Ishmael, and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. I mean, this would be incredible. Wouldn't this demonstrate the hidden wisdom of God to bring salvation to Israel's greatest enemies and then commission them to provoke Israel to jealousy? Now, Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 19, he says, many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And I know he was referring to the Jewish people. And so here the irony is that the first nation conceived of God's covenant would now become the last nation to enter the kingdom of God. So God wants to bring his redemption and salvation to all mankind, all humanity, ultimately restoring the earth to the peace and the wholeness, the shalom that existed in the Garden of Eden. In Isaiah chapter 19, the Lord says, In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. In that day Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria. And this highway represents more than just, I believe, these three nations. I believe it symbolically pictures the restoration of the three sons of Noah, which is the whole earth. And if you look at the highway, you see that to the north, the highway opens a gateway for the descendants of Japheth, who populated the Asian and European nations, to come and dwell in the tents of Shem. And to the south, it opens a gateway for the descendants of Ham, who populated the continent of Africa, to come and serve in the tents of Shem. So this was the hidden blessing when the Lord said in Matthew chapter 20, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And in the middle of this highway is the land of Israel and in the heart and center of Israel is Jerusalem, the very heart of God's kingdom. And this was the land that was promised to the descendants of Jacob. But portions were also promised to Abraham's other natural descendants, Ishmael and Esau. So it's not surprising to see that some of Ishmael's descendants live in tents to this day. It's a prophetic picture of their eternal destiny. And what incredible hospitality they demonstrate when they invite us to join them in their tent for dinner or for coffee. So now we've come full circle once again, seeing that the blessing of Ishmael that was to be fulfilled in Christ will restore an inheritance and blessing that dates to the three sons of Noah. This is the blessing of Ishmael, 
to complete the restoration of God's kingdom by provoking Israel to jealousy and more to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth by setting the royal banquet for our Lord and King, Yeshua. Amen. If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.